0: Good morning. Y'all excited to be here? Yeah. All right, should be excited to be here. This is a good place to be. Uh, my name is Eric Smith. I'm a Connect Group leader here at Connection Church, Pooler. Uh, Michael Page, our campus pastor, is getting a much-deserved week off, um, and so I'm just—I'm really excited to be here this morning. I mean, there were hugs down the hall, and people were introducing themselves and walking with us our seats, and just lots of smiling faces. This is a good place to be this morning. We had great worship, and now we're just going to open God's Word. And let it just speak to our hearts. We're in a great place this morning. And so we want to celebrate some of the stuff that's happening. And just last week, we celebrated 10 baptisms. We should. We should be excited about that. That means 10 people publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's an exciting thing. And there are so many good things going on in this place. And I'm just really excited to be here and get to be a part of what's going on this morning. So we're introducing a new series this week, and it's called Broken. And so as we take the next seven weeks, we're just going to look in the Bible and see how God uses broken people to accomplish his plans, his purpose, and and then to glorify his name. And that's really good news for me, and hopefully for all of us, because I realize we're broken people. And the fact of the matter is, is God doesn't use broken people, he's not going to have anyone to use and so, you know, the cool thing we say here at Connection Church all the time is that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And so as we take a look at the brokenness, as we take a look at, at where we are in terms of brokenness in our lives, I just want you to know it's okay to be broken, but it's not okay to stay that way. And God wants to do something about that, and we're going to get to see it this morning and how God really works in, in just miraculous ways. So one of the things that Michael says that I love is that every time we open this book, there's an opportunity for our lives to change. And I believe that. This is the inspired word of God. It's in there and it's perfect. It's alive. Every time we open this, our lives can change. And I believe that on every single page of this. And that includes the Old Testament. And you know, and I know the Old Testament, sort of all oh, that's history, that's the old guys, that's where that wrathful God is, and all that. No, every single page of this book has Jesus Christ all over it. And so as we kind of break this word open, is that your desire this morning? Did you walk into this place going, man, I hope I walk out of here different. Man, I hope God does something in this place. And my heart has changed. Maybe my affections are stirred for Jesus in a way that I haven't experienced in a while. I just hope, God, when I leave this place, I leave different than I walked in. Is that your prayer this morning? If not, why'd you come? What's the point? You know, we got some great worship, and this morning you got an exceptionally good-looking preacher. But in the end, if God doesn't do something in our life, if we don't leave this place different, what's the point, right? So let me pray for us, and, and let's get started. I'm hoping that you're your prayer with me this morning, but let's, let's pray for God to change our lives this morning, so pray with me. Gracious only Father, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to just be in your house. Lord, we just thank you for all the smiling faces. We thank you for the face of Jesus that we encountered on the way into this place, and, and how you just overflowed your love out of every person that we've come across this morning, Lord, and how you brought us into this place. We're not here by accident this morning. We're here by your divine hand. Lord, this is providence in our life that we're here this morning. And so as we open up your word, as we explore brokenness and what that really truly means to you, Lord, I pray that our hearts are receptive to whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross, hide me behind your love, hide me behind your grace, hide me behind the power of Jesus Christ. I pray that I'm forgettable this morning, that the only thing we remember when we leave this place is, is what the Holy Spirit did in our lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, change our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, let's get after it. So when we're talking about broken, I'm a lot like Michael. I love word definitions. I love getting into that and seeing what it looks like. And so the definition in the dictionary according to broken is having been fractured or damaged And no longer in one piece or in working order. That's a big thing, in in working order, right? And so we know there's nothing good about something that's broken, at least not in my life. If something's broken, I'll generally wind up throwing it away before I even try to figure out if I can fix it. You know, if if it's cracked, if it's dented, it's broken, it's no longer in working order, so I'm just going to chunk it. Why do I need it? Why do I need something in my life that's not of any use, that's not in working order. So if I can't think about fixing it, or even if I'm too lazy to try to fix it, when I find something broken, I get rid of it. That's the worldly perspective we live in, right? We live in a throwaway society, not worried about it, not trying to fix it. We can just go to the store and buy another. If not, we can hit Amazon up and thank God for Prime, it'll be here in two days, right? I mean, if my blender breaks, chunk it. If my computer breaks, throw it away. If my wife isn't in working order anymore, get rid of her. I wrote that about a friend, baby. Embarrass my wife in a message, check. But that's it, right? Isn't that right? Let's just throw it away. It's not working. I can get another one. We even tie worth into brokenness. So if I have a car, and and you know this car is a good car. It should probably be worth a lot more if you come in and I tell you, man, here's the price I want for it. And it's way below what you know that car is worth. What's the first question you're going to ask me? What's wrong with it? Is it broke? Right? There's no way that something that's, you know, that we tie value into is worth anything At that price, right? It's got to be broken. But you see, the dictionary defines broken when it comes to a person a little different. It says that when a person is broken, they've given up all hope. They're despairing. And you see, God's perspective is a lot different than our perspective when it comes to brokenness. The way he looks at brokenness is in no way the same that we look at it. Even though I think a lot of the times we like to think that he looks at brokenness the same way we do. I think we try to put our mentality on God, and that's just not the case. He doesn't think the same way we do. And so we know when God looks at brokenness, He's going to look at it different. He sees value in broken things. See, broken when it comes to God is actually a necessity. In Psalms 34:18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in the spirit. And then in Psalms 51, 17, it says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it to you. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. If there was something that I could do for you, God, I would do it, but you don't take pleasure in that. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise that. And so according to David, who we know was a very broken individual, God draws near to those who are broken. And in 3418, what's it say? He saves those who are crushed in the spirit. Broken, when it comes to God, is not a bad place. You see, it creates in us some of the things that are vital for our relationship with God. So as we start this series, we're going to take a look at Jacob's life, and there's no way possible that I could break down everything about Jacob's life for you this morning. We would be here for the next week. So when you get a chance, go get along with the Lord. Go take your Bible out. Go open his word and pray for God just to reveal himself in it like he will, and spend some time and look at Jacob's life. Look at his family. Look at all the things we're going to kind of talk about and, and really see, you'll get a whole picture of what we're going to kind of run through this morning. But see, we see Jacob's family is a family that's built on brokenness, and it's a mess all throughout. The way they deal with each other, the way they interact with each other, it's just broken. And we know in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, it fractured creation. Everything that was perfect, the flow that God had established, everything that was at peace was fractured. But the other thing that was fractured was humanity. Because when sin stepped in, it fractured our relationship with God. Our relationship was broken, and we're separated from the presence of God. Hence, we're all broken. We're born into sin. And so we see this fracture of humanity all across Jacob's life, all across his relationships with the people around him. We see that brokenness that shows up in relationship all across the board. You know, we see deception, we see anger, we see lying, manipulation, we see bitterness, we see rage, we see unforgiveness, you know, we see jealousy. We see selfishness. All of these things, it's a lot of what we still see today, right, it's a lot of what we still see in our relationships with people today. The same thing, that fractured, broken relationship that starts with God overflows into the people that are around us, and so there's hope. and We get to see some of that in the life of Jacob, and again, Every word on the page of God. So, just like Jacob, we're fractured people, we're broken, dealing with fractured, broken people. And so, of course, there's drama, there's pain, there's hurt, there's heartache, there's all those same things we see with Jacob's life, because how, what else would there be? We have hurting, broken people, dealing with hurting, broken people, and we all know what? Hurt people hurt people, right? It's just the way it works. And it's not intentional. It's not on purpose all the time. It's just a broken person responding from a broken place. So when we look at Jacob's life and we see this over and over and over again, we can see a lot of what we see today. But the thing we see as well is we see God begin to use broken people for the purpose that he intends, and for the glory of his name. As all of this drama unfolds in Jacob's life, we see God orchestrating a plan to move them to the land where he desires, to take their brokenness and draw them into him, to a place where they depend on him, and actually to birth a nation. And that nation is gonna be become part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. So in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of drama, in the midst of pain and jealousy and all of these things we see, we see God using broken people to arrange the bloodline that would bring the one that would save us all. That's broken people. That's good news for me. It's real good news for me. So, again, We'll just run through Jacob's life. When Jacob's born, he's the twin brother, the fraternal twin brother of Esau. They look completely different. They act completely different. Um, you know, and, and names always sort of mean something when it comes to the Bible. So Esau comes out. He's red. He's hairy. They name him Esau, which is hairy. And then Jacob comes out. And when the Bible says when he comes out, he's grasping his brother's heel. And so Jacob means supplanter. It means one who grabs by the heel. And uh, it actually, in the context of what it's talking about, it really means trickster or deceiver. You ever heard that, that you're the heel of a joke? That's where it comes from. And so Jacob, the deceiver. And so we see this all across Jacob's life. We see him deceive Esau over some, his birthright for a bowl of stew. Esau gladly gives it up, despising his birthright. We see Rebecca helping Jacob to deceive Isaac for the blessing, the double portion, to become the family leader, which was all part of prophecy. And so we see Rebecca go in, convincing Isaac to send Jacob away because now Esau is furious. His rage is overwhelming, and he says, the moment my father dies, I will kill my brother. And so Jacob's in a panic, Rebecca's in a panic because she doesn't want to lose both of them. And so she convinces Isaac to send Jacob to put on own, to keep him from being killed. And so on his way, God sort of shows up, and in a dream, he reveals himself to Jacob. And Jacob sees this vision of a ladder that's connecting earth to heaven, and God's standing at the, the top of the ladder, and he makes Jacob some promises. And in that moment, we see one of the first pictures, not one of the first pictures, but a picture of Christ that connecting bridge that connects us to God. So when Jacob wakes up, makes a pillar, makes a marker, prays to God, and he does like what most of us do, starts to negotiate with God. Sure, God, I'll let you be my God, but I need you to protect me on this journey. I need you to give me food. I need you to give me clothes. I need you to make sure I get back all right. And if you do all of that, I'll build an altar, and you will be my God. And I'll even cut you in on the tenth, everything I get. All right? Don't we do that? We start negotiating with God when He reveals Himself to us. So He goes on, and on the way, He meets Rachel, falls in love with Rachel immediately, and goes and meets His uncle. And if Jacob was ever a deceiver, He thought He was the man, He had another thing coming. Because Laban was a pro. And so Jacob's in love with Rachel, and maybe you know that story already, but Laban winds up deceiving Jacob. He works seven years for Rachel, and instead he gets Leah. So then Jacob says, oh, that's not even our custom. Work another seven years. So he works another seven years, and then he gets Rachel. And once he has both of these wives, the Bible says he loved Rachel more than Leah. And there was pain in that. There was pain for Leah. And so Leah begins to have children, and she starts to name these children. And if you go and you look and you do a study and you see the names of these children, you begin to see what Leah is going through. Because she's heartbroken that Jacob just won't love her. And so then the Maury Povich show of the Old Testament starts. And so we get this kind of war of jealousy between... Rachel and Leah, and they're having babies, and Rachel can't have kids, so she's giving servants, and Leah's giving her servants, and Jacob's smiling the whole time because he's getting more women, right? And so we see this broken, fractured thing, and uh, these children, these men who are being born, are going to become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jacob becomes the father of a nation, broken people, doing broken things, responding from a broken place. And God's working, and weaving us all into what he intends and what he wants to do. So Jacob finally is ready to rid himself of Laban after working, and they strike a deal. And after six more years, Jacob packs up his stuff and all of his wives and all of his children and all of his flocks that he's gained, and he's prosperous by this point. And there's tension, and he knows it. And so packs it all up and says, okay, let's go. And he just leaves without telling Laban. And Laban's furious. So Laban starts after him, and Laban catches him fast. Like he had to be booking it because they had a pretty good head start. And so they have this moment, and again, they build another marker to remind them, what's going on and so Jacob moves on from that place and now he's in trouble because geographically he's pinned in he can't go back because that's where Laban was he can only go forward because geography has pinned him in and forward is where Esau is he's starting to run out of options the deceiver is running out of ways to deceive people he's going to have to face what's going on So Jacob sends out his messengers, and they come back, and they say Esau's on the way, and he's got 400 armed men, now it's real. Now what is Jacob going to do? Now he's desperate. So he finally prays, and he prays to God. And so later on that night in Genesis 32, 23 through 30, and if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. You'll be able to read it. The deceiver, he answered. And he's clinging to this man. And he won't let him go. Desperate, despairing, broken. And he's clinging to God. And when God asks him, what's your name? He finally just admits it out loud. I'm broken. I'm a deceiver. So... The man looks at him and he says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And the moment he cried out, I'm broken, God changed his name. So he says, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him. And so Jacob called that place, Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. God met him in his brokenness. He didn't wait for him to get fixed. He didn't wait for him to just act a little better. It was in his brokenness when he cried out, I'm a deceiver. He met the face of God. And his life was spared and changed forever. Your new name is Israel. And he walked away with a limp. We know that. So what do you think that limp did? you think there's a chance that limp reminded him of his encounter with God? You think every time he took a step and it was hobbled, he remembered God's grace. I got a limp, but I met God face to face, and my life was spared. So Jacob and Esau have an encounter. And just like our encounter with Jesus, we don't get what we deserve. Jacob earned death, deceived his brother. He earned his brother's vengeance. He earned his brother's wrath. But instead, when Esau came up to him, he ran and he embraced him, and they both wept. He found grace. And, of course, the old Jacob wasn't quite done. There's still a little more to the story. He deceived Esau one more time. And he continues to follow God, and God sends him to these different places. And the fracturedness of his broken family continues to kind of haunt him a little bit, and we see all that. And he continues to build pillars and markers that remind him of God and moments he had with God where he encountered God. And we even see tragedy because he's on his way to what's present-day Bethlehem. and The one he loves dies during childbirth. So he places a pillow there to remind him where his wife was, where God was in that moment. And the pillow's still there today, where Rachel's buried on the way to Bethlehem. So Jacob's life is marked by brokenness. And God asked him, who are you? He finally admitted, I'm broken. And you see, he spent all of his life self-preserving, focused on his desires, focused on what he wanted. He spent all of his life trying to control everything. And when he couldn't control it anymore, when he was finally broken, God met him there, and his life changed forever. And even the back end of Jacob's life is amazing to see how he responds differently from his encounter with God. You see, God saw his brokenness the whole time, and that never stopped him or made him remove his hand from Jacob. So, in his desperation, out of hope, despairing, broken by definition, we see God move, and his life was changed. But it was his brokenness that led him to God. It was his brokenness that finally led him to a place of humility. He was humbled because what else could he do to get on his face before God and cling to him just say, bless me, you know? He finally realized, I can't fix this. And in that humility, coming to the end of himself, that's the place where the fertile ground of God is. When we reach that end of ourself, when we quit trying in our own power, when we quit trying to fix the brokenness of our lives so God would love us, when we run out of all of our options, that's where God meets us. You see, is there a chance that God's doing that with all of us? Is there a chance that that's what God wants to do with your brokenness? Is there a chance that our brokenness is the path to God and not the detour away from him. You know, and along the way, there should be markers. There are gonna be markers that we see. We're gonna see fractures. We're gonna see things where God showed up or maybe these turning points in our life that turned us back towards God, but markers all the same. But could it be our brokenness takes us to the place where God can make something new? Isn't that what we want? Wasn't that our prayer this morning to leave here different than we walked in? What if your brokenness led you here? What if your brokenness led you to a place where God wanted to meet you? Because here's the things that brokenness definitely creates in us. Brokenness takes us to a place of humility where we finally quit relying on our own power. Our hearts are never more available and open to God than in our brokenness. Our prayers are never more focused on God's power to save than when we're broken before him. And our worship is never more sincere than when we are broken and crushed before the Lord. Jeremiah 18, three through six says, so I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. And so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as what seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. See, God was sending Jeremiah to warn the people and ask them to turn from their own plans, their desires, everything they were doing. He was giving them a chance to turn back to him, and he sends them to the potter's house, and Jeremiah realizes this, and God's given him a message of hope to take to the people. I can take what you've broken, and I can make something beautiful with it. And so, no matter how our plans, our selfishness, all of the things that we do that wind up disfiguring us, that we think we're ugly before God, and we're not worthy, we're not valuable enough to God, all of those things we made, mistakes we made, all of the stuff that we did that we can't let go of, all of the things that are keeping us from God, that are detouring us from his presence. No matter how dark our sin is, there's no place where God can't make something new out of it. We can take that marred clay that's our fractured life and we can place it in the hands of the potter and he'll make something beautiful. He'll make something new. He'll make something that he uses for his glory for the world to see. There's no place you're gonna go where God can't make something new, where he can't reach you. And with that thought in mind, the marred clay, he didn't take the marred clay and set it aside and go, okay, now let me get new clay. He took the marred clay that was there already and he reshaped it. So everything that went into making that marred clay is still there. It's just now it looks beautiful. Now it's something different. Now it's been fashioned by the hand of God. What if our brokenness is a vital ingredient to what God wants to make in us? What if it's necessary? You see, Jacob always had that limp. Amara Clay was always there. He still saw the remnants of the sinfulness in his life that showed up in his family and his children and their relationships and everything else. But that limp reminded him of his encounter with God. Does that change our perspective on brokenness? See, God's not waiting for you to Fix yourself. God's not waiting for you to fashion all this stuff up or either clean out the clay. It's not what He wants. He's not waiting on that better idea of you that you keep saying you're going to be and you never can quite reach. He's not waiting on that. Here's the deal you will never be able to fix yourself. Ever. You will never be able to heal the wounds that you've experienced. And I know some of them are tough. I know some of them have been made by people that were supposed to love you, and they broke your heart. I know some of them are by people who aren't even around anymore, and you just can't forgive them. God's not waiting for you to fix all of that stuff. He sees every dark corner of your heart. And he loves you anyways. And he's just standing there waiting until you finally just come to the end of yourself and just go, I'm broken, God. See, he wants to take that valuable moment of our brokenness, and he wants to take that marred clay, and he wants to fashion something beautiful. See, today's a very special day for me. On October 8th, 2011, I was arrested for possession of a controlled substance. This was my second possession charge and my seventh arrest in a year and a half. see, I was wounded. I had a wound that I just couldn't heal, and it walked with me my whole life. And so I tried to fix it in so many different ways. I did it with sports. I did it with partying. I did it with beer did it with women, I did it eventually with drugs. And I tried all things. I tried a wife, and that didn't work. And I tried children, and that didn't work. And I tried all of these things to heal this wound, and nothing worked. And so I always ran back to the same thing, a temporary satisfaction in some substance that would just make me feel better. So that night, I'd been in addiction for seven years. We lost everything. I lost our house. Lost cars. The water bill. Couldn't pay it, so it got cut off. Electricity. It got cut off. I find myself living with my in laws because I couldn't pay the rent on the other place. Thing after thing I did. You know, in John 10 10, it says the enemy came to uh, kill, steal, and destroy. If I reflected anything, I looked more like the enemy to the people I loved than what I was supposed to look like. Pawned everything we had. I pawned my wife's wedding ring, the symbol of my commitment and love to her. And I gave it up for dope. (laughs) Robbed my kids. Lied, I steal from anyone deception, many of those people are sitting in this room today. And I was finally at the end of myself and I was riding down a road and I looked at God and I said, God, I deserve everything I've done or that I'm getting because I've earned it. I deserve all of this. But I'm tired and I can't do it anymore. So whatever it is you're doing, Get it done. And if that's death, bring it on. But whatever it is you're doing, do it. And I went home, and I told my wife, in two weeks, I'll either be in jail or I'll be dead. And in less than two weeks, I was in jail. But I was allowed to go into a faith-based rehabilitation program, and I spent six months. And so I can just remember all of these markers in my life. But this is the thing I want you to know. On October eighth, 2011, God met me in my brokenness, and my life was spared. Why do we run from our brokenness? Why do we allow that to carry us away from God when it should be the very thing that takes us to God? There are people that come into this place broken this morning. Why leave the same? Why leave that way? When God's going, just come on. I'm the great potter. I know it's a mess. I know it's marred. But watch what I can do with it. Look at what God can do with it. I can't assure you of much, but I can assure you of this. God heals broken things. (laughs) So... My truck, my air conditioner's broken. It's been actually broken since before the winter started. But the fact is it was really easy to hide in the winter. You know, because I mean it's kind of embarrassing. People get in your truck, I don't want to know my AC's broke. So it wasn't that big a deal. I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't I didn't even tell I couldn't even tell that it was broke because the temperature, you know, was good enough. But, of course, we live in South Georgia, and, you know, we have this crazy weather. And so there were days where you could tell my A.C. was broke. You know, and I tried to cover it up. Somebody get in, and I'd turn the panel on, and I'd crack the window just a little bit so they wouldn't see that my A.C. was broke, and we'd be riding along, and it was kind of comfortable. Maybe they knew it, and maybe they just didn't want to call me out on it and embarrass me, and I was embarrassed, and, you know, I didn't want to deal with it, and, you know. So here lately, it's gotten warmer a couple times. Today we're good. I can hide my broken AC. (laughs) But there have been days where, you know, it was obvious my AC was broke. But here's the thing. I know what's coming down the road. There's gonna be a season where it's gonna be really obvious that my air conditioner's broke. It's gonna affect me every single day. It's going to affect every single person that gets in my truck. If my wife rogers with me, mean, she's gonna realize the brokenness of my AC. If my kids get in, they're gonna go, Danny, it's hot. They're gonna know, they're gonna feel the brokenness of my AC. And I'm gonna know it every single day. And it's just gonna be worse and worse and it's gonna get worse, as the temperature rises. <laughs> you wanna know the sad part about the story? I have everything I need to fix my air conditioner in the backseat of my truck. Literally, everything, whole new A.C. Why haven't I fixed it? Am I lazy? Am I scared that I just can't handle it? Does it bring me face-to-face with some things about my life that I don't really want to acknowledge? That maybe I like to push things off, or maybe I don't like to deal with stuff head-on, or maybe I just... Does it point out another problem area in my life, and so I just want to leave it alone? So I don't deal with it, and if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, but sooner or later it's going to be brought to my attention. Everything I need to fix it is right there. Why haven't I fixed it? Why do we run from our brokenness when everything we need to fix it is right here? God brought you into this place because everything you need to fix whatever it is that's broken in your life is right here this morning because God is here this morning just like every other marker that Jacob built in his life it's the place where he encountered God this is the place where God wants to encounter you why leave different why walk away with it broken again you know it's going to show up you know you're going to be reminded of it Maybe it's a brokenness that you didn't cause. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's fear. Maybe we could go on and on. Maybe it's something you did that you don't want to let go of. Maybe you're okay with the fact that God forgives you, but you can't forgive you. Trust me. I know what that's like. Sometimes that's the hard part. I know what I did I know the depths of what I'm capable of but maybe my limp reminds me of God's grace and his love the markers there in my life remind me that he met me in my brokenness and point me back to him God just wants to heal wounds He wants to make something beautiful out of the ugliness of our life. Why do we run from that? God wants you to leave this place today healed. And you may have some cracks. You may have something that shows from your past. There may be a scar that covers the wound. But like the great theologian Lecrae says, The scars are the proof to the world that God heals wounds. Our limp is proof to the world that God meets us in our brokenness. Why are we running from our brokenness? So here's the thing in a room this size that I know. There are broken people in this place. I know it. Statistics say it, but there's pain. Some of us walked in with a burden this morning so you know maybe that's just running back to god and him healing that wound maybe it's him mending up that fractured spot or maybe there's some people in this room this morning that are still in a fractured broken relationship with god because they've never made the decision to make jesus christ their lord and savior they've never taken that step and said, Jesus, I can't do it. I can't fix myself. I can't justify my own sins. Oh, yes, my life is not going to be fixed by my own hands. I need you. I need you to step in the place of my sin and pay the penalty so that I can stand righteously before God. We want to give you a chance, if that's you, to make that decision this morning. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I know already that creates anxiety in you. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that Luke 15, 7 says that heaven erupts in celebration every time one sinner repents and gives his life to the Lord. So I want you to be encouraged that if that's you and you raise your hand this morning, we're going to erupt in celebration. I'm going to erupt in celebration. Because I still remember what it was like to be face-to-face with God and to have my life spared. So we're going to cheer you on. And I know there's anxiety because I still remember that day where I was sitting in there and I was trying to decide to take that next step. But here's the thing I know for sure. I still remember what it felt like when I walked out and I didn't do it. And how i beat myself up and i did it time and time again church service after church service again and again i tried to rationalize with god why do i have to do this why do i have to be public about this why can't we do this on our own and romans 10 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that jesus is lord and believe in our hearts that god raised him from the dead then we are saved but that still requires a public decision If a fireman walked into a place where it was burning around you and saved your life, took you out and put you in front of the news, what are you going to do? Let me tell you about this firefighter. You publicly, everywhere you go, this firefighter, this guy, he saved my life. Does the Savior of humanity not deserve the same public declaration of his power? It's necessary. But I can promise you, the hardest stuff is the first one. Every moment after that is freedom. So you just have to raise your hand. So if that's you this morning, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, we got some people here that are gonna pray with you. They're gonna take you out into the hallway and have a conversation about that. If you've never made the decision to commit your life to Jesus, if you've never taken the step to freedom, if you've never taken the step to forgiveness, if you've never taken the step to grace, if you've never taken the step to love, and you want to do that this morning, you just put your hand in the air? Amen, good. So for the rest of us, I bet if we were honest about our brokenness, if we were honest about our desire to be healed from our wounds, if we were honest about freedom, these altars would be full. They would be full. Why? Every time Jacob encountered God, what did he do? He built an altar. Every time the people of the Bible encountered God, they built an altar. Because that was where God met them. This is where God wants to meet you this morning. And if God's dealing with you about something today, if he's dealing with you about something that's been weighing on you forever, and you just can't shake it, I know we could always go, well, an altar can be anything. It can be, but today it's right here. This is where God wants to meet you. This is where God wants to deal with you. And I can assure you, you will leave this place different than when you walk up. So Thomas is going to sing a beautiful song, a perfect song. And if that's you this morning, if you're dealing with something, if there's something on your life that's just weighing heavy, if there's a brokenness that you just want God to heal, these altars are open. If you want someone to pray with you, there's going to be people on the sides to pray. Even Michael's here. Michael will be glad to pray with you about anything. But these altars are open. And if anything, let's just worship the God that puts broken pieces back together.